Amanda Morgan and Christopher Dariano are dancers with the Pacific Northwest Ballet. Amanda Morgan has trained with Alonzo King Lines Ballet and Boston Ballet School. She has also participated in PNB Schools Exchange with the Palooka University of Dance in Dresden. Christopher Dariano has studied with Boston Ballet and Ballet Tech, as well as choreographed for the Seattle International Dance Festival. Welcome to the Creative Process, Amanda Morgan and Christa Dariano. Can you just describe your journey to dance? You were saying that you began with hip-hop. Christopher. Yeah, so I started taking dance because my, my best friend's mom, she was seeing that I was very active, and I, I love dancing around a lot in my family's restaurant. So she's like, oh, we should take gymnastics. And so I took it with my best friend, and then my teacher from gymnastics was like, oh, you should do hip-hop, and then, oh, you should do tap and then, oh, you should do jazz. So slowly it kind of accumulated over the years. And then ballet, I was always told, was the basis of all these dance forms. So then I started taking that seriously, and I went to a performing arts school in New York City. I just started getting really invested in it, and I started falling in love with the Balanchine aesthetic and the Robbins aesthetic, and I trained at School of American Ballet for a few years, and then I ended up at Pacific Northwest Ballet. Yes, and so now we're here. This is joined to the Jerome Robbins season. So mm -hmm. is that exciting for you? I guess you'll also be doing a Jerome Robbins festival in September. Yeah, we're doing our own uh, festival in Seattle. And it's so exciting because his work really hits home for me because he's a New Yorker and he loves jazz <laughs> and I love jazz too. Mm -hmm. So it's really cool to see other companies perform his work as well as ours, you know, and we're going to be doing eight works by his, I think, in September. Yeah. So. Very excited for that. You two are best friends as well. Yes. I was wondering, you've danced together as well? <laughs> uh, are you will be dancing together not during this uh, uh, performance here? Or? We got to dance together in Opus 19. Yes. Oh, yes. When we've danced together in Red Angels. Yeah. We're not performing it here, but we performed it back in Seattle. Uh -huh. And I hope we get to perform together like yeah. in the future, of course. Yeah, and could you just describe your journey? Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. um, so... I really was just always active, especially when I was little. My mom like just didn't know what to do with me, and she grew up, she immigrated to New York City, and um, she always loved the art, so she was like, oh, why don't I put her in ballet? Like, I've always loved ballet. She never really did it, so then she just put me in it, and I, like, really loved it, and I stuck with it ever since, and I went to school American Ballet for a summer course, and I think I realized there that I really, like, wanted to try and be a professional then uh, when I was 14 and then I came to Pacific Northwest Ballet School and I kind of grew up in the school and just ended up in the company here and now I'm here. And could you both describe your approach to creating a role as a dancer and then as a choreographer? How does that differ? I think it really depends on the ballet master that's staging it or the choreographer if they come in. Uh, what they give to you is something that's really special because it's very unique to their style. Like Peter Bull, for example, staged Red Angels, and he kept telling us, you know, he said it's about spirits and kind of another world. You're taking to another world. So having that imagery really kind of implements something in our dancing and our moods, you know, going into rehearsal. So learning different ballets is really dependent on who's teaching it. And for us, it's really special because we just keep gaining and we keep learning um, every time. Yeah. So what has the experience been like though shifting from Crystal Pites emergence <laughs> to like Opus 19, the dreamer for you guys? What is the big difference, would you say? Well, there's definitely a difference yeah. in aesthetic and movement. I also just like to look at like who's done it, the parts in the past and then get inspiration from that and then also take 
my own individuality and put it in whatever I'm doing. With choreographers, they have a very specific way of doing things sometimes, so you can't always be so individual. But you find your way to like work around it and mesh it together, which is a beautiful thing, I think. Is it hard, though, shifting from one to the other in the same program? Oh, in the same program? Yes. yes. <laughs> very much so. Especially if you're like in a piece in like socks and you're like moving your feet differently and then you have to like go in point shoes the next two ballets, then you're just like, oh, okay. Like, so do you just get used to it over time or does it take a... Yeah, I also feel like you have to kind of switch your mentality. You're kind of like, okay, I'm going to be grounded and I'm doing this. And then you're all of a sudden, okay, I'm a ballerina and I'm going to be lifted. It's just kind of like switching off and on, mm-hmm. I would say. And then in terms of your visualization, memorization techniques, how you work with music, uh, if you could speak from the uh, role as a dancer and also as a choreographer. Hmm. So with music as a dancer... I think that's the thing that influences you the most. We move because of music, generally. There are a few pieces that start in silence or just the whole thing's in silence. But as a choreographer, too, music is just the driving point for me. And to create something that's visual for the audience and also that really stays true to the music for the dancers. Because I, I believe the Balanchine way, which is you see the music. So I think that when I dance and when I choreograph, How did you go about selecting the music that you've choreographed? I would say I really like strings and eerie sounds, things that really make me think and feel something. It's not just, I mean, other types of music are great too, but I really want to feel something when I hear it and see something. So I think based on that, that's what I really tend to gravitate towards when I choreograph. Could you then speak about some of the specific dances that you've choreographed? Yeah, I've just recently choreographed a piece and that was composed by my two best friends. So we worked on the music for about nine months. And that was really special because it was a piece geared towards our generation and something we wanted to create and something we wanted to make new again for the audience, something that to be fresh. So going about that with music was really fun because we came up with themes and variations. And then we just kept adding and adding and added downbeats and high notes and little twinkles in the music and little nuances. And then other pieces I've choreographed, I think the music tells me the story, and then I try to put that on the dancers and create the story with them. And I like using different types of music. It doesn't have to be the same. It could be something that's very contemporary or something very balletic and beautiful and romantic. For me, it's it's just kind of what piece speaks to me, then I'll create from there. And Little Mortal Jump mm-hmm. now, <laughs> that's very exciting. The music that you're working with there, and how did that just... I think the music for that is genius. <laughs> mm-hmm. For our next step program, like we can't have so many different composers in one because you have to get the rights for all of it. But originally, with my first piece, I wanted to do something kind of like that, where I had different, like one song from the '50s and then like a modern piece and stuff like that. But I think it's really awesome how they meshed all these different composers together. It's I'm really, really excited to see it. You should be. Yeah. It's really, really great. This is amazing. It's going to be so awesome. I mean, it's yes, it's a great evening. You'll mm-hmm. definitely leave with chills on your arms. <laughs> like All the pieces are really, really great. <laughs> what has the whole Paris experience been like for you guys? Performing here compared to Seattle, and how's it been? It's it, been amazing. It's amazing. It feels like really unreal. I look outside, and I'm like, oh, I'm in Paris. Like I'm like, oh, like oh, this That's is a city. Like I'm in New York, and then I'm like looking, I'm like, oh, that's Eiffel Tower right there. It's just really, really beautiful. And something about here is very calm, like just compared to the States, which I like. It's like a quiet appreciation they have for art. It's Mm. really refreshing. And I don't know, because I've been living here so long, but I was from America, so 
the way people move. Are you s- noticing it's different? Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm noticing it in myself. Yeah. Oh, you're moving. I feel like I'm moving different. <laughs> I got here and I was like, oh, classical. <laughs> <laughs> Just based on the teachers we've had too, because we've had the opportunity to have some teachers from Miami City Ballet, and I guess one of them was at Paris Opera Ballet. Oh yeah, you guys had the huge collaboration. Yeah, last so it was ballet, like too. New York City Ballet. Yeah, what so was that like collaborating with New York City Ballet? It was awesome. I felt like I was kind of in a summer course. Yeah. I was like an SAB Paris. <laughs> <laughs> huge um, reunion. Yeah, yeah, but I love seeing new dancers. It's just yeah. refreshing to not always see the same people all the exactly. time as much as I love them. And but watching like, how they move. Yes, exactly, because you can get inspired from that and take little bits of that. Put it towards your thing. It's cool to feel the energy too from other dancers. Oh yeah. Because yeah. they all want it as much as you do, and they all yeah. want to strive and you know thrive as much as you yeah. do. So yeah. it's nice to feel that from other people. Oh for sure. Yeah. Now what was the next step process like? I know you were choreographed on the students at the school. What yeah. was that process like for you guys? It was really unique because they're generally our age, mm-hmm. and there are our friends we're choreographing on. So it was cool to get the experience to have people close to you listen to you in a different way, mm-hmm. and you try to explain and teach, you know, in a way that's going to get your point across. I think for me, the thing I learned the most is how to teach mm-hmm. and how to really express myself without being too vague or too blunt. Kind of having that good gray area where it's visual but not too visual, you know? But Next Step was really special because it's rare that we get to have this opportunity to choreograph. Being on the other side of the studio, Mm -hmm. too. It was so cool. It was really, really amazing. I think for me it was just really weird because only two years ago I was in Next Step. (laughs) And then I was PDs with some of the people. And same thing for him. So then I was just like, okay, I want you guys to do this. But because they were so close, it was easy to have honest communication and get things out of them and see, watch them grow. I think that was the best part for me is seeing the dancers grow and seeing things in them that I didn't see in the How beginning. How long did you have for the process? Like nine, nine months. Nine months, yeah. Nine months. Okay. But, but we also yeah. were performing. Well, that's the thing. You have so yeah. much during the season. Yeah, we're performing. We're traveling. We both went to New York. Yeah. We she went to San Francisco. You know, we had live yeah. still. So it was a very week-by-week week process. We some like, weeks you wouldn't yeah. have rehearsal. Some weeks you'd just be, exactly. you know, 10 hours of rehearsal. So it was just finding time in between. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Definitely. It was a little stressful at times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But do you like creating under that kind of time constraint? I think it needs to be a little shorter. Yeah. <laughs> I think having that much time, like, kind of, it killed my brain a little bit yeah. to think about the same thing for 10, 12 months almost. Yeah. It was just a little too open. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's nice to have the pressure of being like, okay, you have three months to fully to like it, yeah. clean it and teach it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's nice to have this boundary in mm-hmm. between your creative process. I wouldn't mind the planning process being longer, thinking about it and having yeah. it all set up, and then the actual creating mm-hmm. process being shorter. So then you have everything, and then you just kind of go with it and see where it goes from there. I think I'd rather it be shorter a little bit. And you started choreographing pieces so young. Do you see your future in that direction is that what you planned I didn't plan it actually (laughs) but now I think I will yeah I think I want to choreograph are you excited about having that kind of control yeah I love it (laughs) it's so nice it's really refreshing Mm -hmm. especially to be a young dancer and to also have that control and -hmm. see the other side is really cool well, it helps you grow as an artist, too, because you're, oh, like, able sure. to work with other people and you see how other people are working. And then it's almost like you're seeing a part of your brain on stage that people don't always get to see mm-hmm. when you dance yourself on stage. 
So with my piece, my piece is a little bit more somber and controlled, and I feel like people don't always see that with me, or it was like a little bit more eerie and dark. And so I was able to express that through my choreography rather than just getting to do it in a part that, you know, on stage. It's interesting that you speak about using a different part of your brain. I was speaking earlier with Caroline about that, and, and I do wonder, is it become you know, difficult, uh, the, the glamour and the drama and the discipline of dance, it doesn't become difficult when you go to your ordinary life, let's say, yeah. that transition, is that difficult or how do you manage that? Hmm. I think for me, a huge art fiend, no matter where I go, I look at humanity kind of artistically. Yeah. <laughs> I think she's the same. We find it interesting to see the different patterns of people walking on the street. Yeah. It's like silly <laughs> things like You're that. You're still dancing. We're yeah. still yeah. dancing yeah. somewhere inside. That's beautiful. Yeah, so it's great. It's great for us. We kind of feed off each other. She's like, oh, look at the way that little baby like crawls. <laughs> and, I'm like, and I'm like, I love it. Like, let's do it. You know, <laughs> let's put it in something. That's the one thing about dancers looking at children looking at animals as well their natural grace I wonder how much inspiration you get from watching the dancers of the natural world I remember being in New York City and I was walking in the street and I would just see each person I feel it felt like I could see each person's story and how different they were and that was just so inspiring to me even though millions of people are walking the city like don't know each other somehow they're all connected and there's like a community there it really struck me as powerful I think it's a special discipline that well actors have it too because there's a lot of nonverbal but dancers especially we don't think about that the language of dance as I think about now we live in this digital age and in a way we're always buffered by a screen or something and I feel that dance have this special window where you're really paying attention to mm. the nonverbal and you don't realize how connected because you have to yeah. depend. Mm-hmm. I agree so much. Mm-hmm. I think it's really cool for our generation to have social media because now we're really amplifying dance and using mm-hmm. it to an advantage. Mm-hmm. You see now there's all these different dance trends that people watch millions and millions and millions of views. And it's really great for us because now we get to share that and people can actually watch instead of just being fed something. You know, by their it's like school. dance is accessible to everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're really using it, too. I like that, that kind of democratic approach. And I'm sure you have it as well through certain things where, where students are allowed mm-hmm. into view performances. But for you guys, who are your role models? Who do you look up to the most choreography or dancers who's really inspired you? Carl Cruz is my favorite dancer. <laughs> <laughs> he just retired, yes, right? he yeah. did. He's performing here. His last time performing with the company mm-hmm. is in Paris. He's my ultimate favorite. Loved him since I came to the school. He's uh, such a mentor of mine. Choreography-wise, I re- obviously love Crystal. She's just genius. And we're actually going to see Pina Bausch's show tomorrow. Oh, oh, wow. They're doing so Pina Bausch work. So like, I've never really seen it. So I'm very oh. interested to see what I'll think of her choreography. I feel mm-hmm. like I'll like it. I really love Jerome Robbins and Balanchine and also Crystal Pite. <laughs> I, I love the ballet world and I also love the contemporary world. I think they're just masterminds of shaping the way you think and shaping music. So, What was the experience like working with her? Because on social media I did see so many dancers yeah. raving about that experience mm-hmm. working with her. What oh was that God. like? She's incredible. She's just so, like, a positive ball of energy. Yeah. And she's, like, a little quiet at times, and then she'll just be thinking, and then she'll just all of a sudden be like, yes! Like, she's just <laughs> so much energy. And, and she knows exactly what to say to you, too. Yeah. Exactly what to say to And she really works with everyone, I would say. Like, because yeah. I didn't necessarily get to do plot point, but even me, I was second cast, and she would fix my arm and maneuver me, and it was very... Super hands-on. Yeah, like, yeah. not every choreographer is going to, like, waste the time to yeah. focus on people that are not going to perform the work, but she really wanted to have everyone benefit from her being there. She's very personable. 
very 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 approachable yeah very approachable. Yes, yes. it's incredible yeah and her work is so dark too that you see her in a studio and she's just beaming i know and you're like <laughs> so it's funny. interesting how she has this contrast and then she can also get it out from dancers this darkness mm-hmm. with being so positive <laughs> it's really really cool yeah. so can you tell right. us a little about the program and yes, what exactly. you'll be performing and yeah this is the first show tonight mm-hmm. is Tight Harmonic, Red Angels, Little, Ele- Mortal. Little Mortal, and uh, Emergence. So I think we're both in Emergence, and he's also in LMJ. Mm-hmm. And we um, both learned Red Angels and yes. performed it in yeah. back home. But this program is really cool because it's very cinematic. Yeah. It's pretty dark, and it really draws you into all these intimate moments. I think Peter had a really great success with putting this program together because they all tie into each other very beautifully. They're all very intimate pieces, and they're also very true to humanity in life, and they're true to the music, and they're true to the dancers, and they all have their own language, which is really awesome too. So I think for Paris as well, we're so used to seeing full lengths with Paris on the ballet. Right now they're doing the Fumant Gardet, and mm-hmm. we're not used to having triple bills like this that yeah. are very innovative and showcasing these emerging choreographers yeah. like Crystal Pied. And it's really exciting. Just Europe in general is used to I think to, they'll love it. Yes, I, I think really, really think will. the audience think so, is going to yeah. respond really positively to it. Could you tell <laughs> us a little about next season too? What are you looking forward to dancing? and? Cacti by Alexander. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, you're doing Cacti. It's yes, incredible. I'm so excited for that. I I know I'll never do Tarantella, but I love that ballet. <laughs> I'm so excited for all the Jerome Robbins program. I'm doing West Side Story Suite again. Mm-hmm. I love singing, so yes. it'll be fun. So you've already performed West Side Story Suite now, but yes. now what was that process like? Learning, I mean, singing on stage and all of that was it? I've always loved singing. For me, it's it just fun. Yeah, for some reason, I always get sick before I do it. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, hopefully, it doesn't happen this time so around. Did you all have to audition with the singing? Uh, yeah, they would take or? a video. Actually, when they did it, I was still technically a PD when I auditioned with all these people, and they like just have a video camera and you're like just sing it in front of it, and you're supposed to like act a little bit. So then I just did it, and I got to do Rosalia, so it was awesome. <laughs> Cool. What I'm about not. You? I'm not really up for any singing roles. <laughs> I'm kind of yeah. good being a, a dancer in West Side Story. There are not that many parts for sharks to really sing. It's more like yelling and fighting. <laughs> so, but it's I'm, quite it's quite theatrical, right? Oh, oh it's very, very theatrical. Yeah. It's so cool to listen to the music live because oh, it's so yes. iconic. And when you get on stage and you're in costume, you really feel like you're part of Jerome's, know. you know, fantasy. What other pieces are you guys performing with the Jerome Robbins Festival? Um, the concert. Yeah, probably I'm the very concert. For that, actually, <laughs> they're doing in the night other dances. Um, um, they're doing dance at a gathering. Dance at a gathering. Yeah. We haven't gotten casting yet, so <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Afternoon of a fawn. That's that's the other one. Yeah. Incredible. Where do you see the future of dance? Yes. Yeah. Oh wow! I think we really need to start merging contemporary and ballet but not in the way that everyone assumes contemporary and ballet is they think it's just this kind of wacky or either somber aesthetic but it's something that's a lot more humane and i think that's something we both draw to a lot i think ballet is something that's just so beautiful and we need to keep that integrity by also keeping it alive with our generation and our generation's contemporary and our generation's a little more down to earth and a little grungier so i feel like ballet would go there 
And how do you introduce imperfection into something that's about perfection, Grace, beauty? Well, I feel like Crystal There's beauty and imperfection, too. Yes. Yeah. So much beauty. <laughs> and I feel like Chris, one reason why Crystal Pite is such a pioneer of our generation is she highlights these humane moments by theater. It's mm-hmm. not just by dance anymore. It's by theatrics, and it's by putting all these beautiful moments that you would see on Broadway. She's putting it into dance, and she's showing it to the dance world and including dance in that. And I think it's interesting how she kind of merges these worlds. Same with Jerome Robbins. He did the exact same. Balanchine did the same. So I feel like we need to keep going with that instead of just whacking our legs around. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think meaning. that the meaning is going to change too, just with everything that's happening politically and what's going on in our world. I think it's yeah. inspiring choreographers to make works that don't have people kind of stray away from thinking about what's going on in the world, but it really makes them focus more on it or think about Mm -hmm. it in a way. And it might be uncomfortable, but it's honestly necessary because art really does change a lot when it comes to social and political issues. I also think that just dance in general is going to be more diverse because our generation is just getting more diverse. I mean, it's traditionally seen as an elite art form, and and I don't know, I think that that's changing, but it is. Mm -hmm. But I feel there's so much that we can learn from dancers, dance companies, how you work in harmony, and we really need this when we see all the violence going on in the Mm -hmm. world and all this strife. And I just feel like, wow, if, if they took... It seems silly and idealistic. If they took dance classes, they had to all yeah. work and depend on each other. Yeah. That's if they had access to art in general. Yeah, yeah. art in general, yeah. the importance of the arts. I guess that's something we've covered most. I would say, what's special for you working about with the Pacific Northwest Ballet? For me, I mean, I because I am from I'm from Washington State. Yeah. So I think just growing up and seeing all these dancers, and now I'm in the company and getting to see them and some of them are leaving now and I'm like oh wow they're leaving and now I'm in the company. I I have no words for it. It's just really amazing that I'm here and I never thought I would be here but I am so I'm really happy that I am here. For me it's it's really cool to be directed by Peter Bull who's from New York as well to kind of have him in another place directing a company that does like half contemporary rap and half ballet rap. It's just the perfect hybrid for me. I feel like both of us feel like we are in this in-between state between wanting to do contemporary and ballet. And he really fuses them in a beautiful way. So we're in one of the most perfect companies for that. If I not the most a, perfect I think we have a really company. great rep compared yeah. to a lot of We have um, a lot of great major ballet companies. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, the rights, the amazing It's, it's oh. diverse. I mean, you go yeah. from Balanchine to Robbins exactly. to Crystal. And really, all the dancers really can do it too. Yeah. Like it's it's amazing to have the a company. Yeah, that's so versatile and people want to learn and people are yeah. striving to really, really, really harness all these different energies and styles in. So it's so it sounds so incredibly amazing. So just lastly you know, if, when you think about the future of education and the importance of dance and live performance, how could we be evolving our humanistic education model? What do you see? I think just getting as many people out there to see dance, or art in general. It doesn't have to be dance specifically, but I'd love for it to be dance. Actually, at PMB right now, we're trying to have more dancers go into public schools and have them have more performances so that people in general can see dance more. I think it really does uh, brighten people's mood. It makes them think more about things. It kind of helps them not take life so hard. <laughs> so I think continuously we should just have people just see dance and not just in a theater, but you know, in a park, in a public place. Yeah, really just welcome and Yeah, exactly.
Yeah, I agree with that. I think dance, it's the most universal language to humans. It's just so natural to move your body. So I think just getting people out there to see how people move their bodies will inspire them to do the same and to stay active, especially in America, to really get on their feet and be proactive and listen to music and listen to other people, kind of getting this unison, this group that can work together and work as one, not just as an individual and not just being selfish. It's more about kind of a community. So I think if we just focus on more of a community aspect and outlook, I think it'll really, really, really help our generation, you know, for our children and the people after that. I like to write poetry and just like to write. So in my piece, I actually put some of my poetry at the end, just like one poem that happened at the end after all the music. That's basically... It. it was introducing another medium into into dance. It was so there was music, yeah, there was dance, and there was, yeah. spo- you know, there was poetry. I definitely got influenced by Crystal Pipe because she likes to have script and has mm-hmm. actors in it and has playwrights write scripts for her pieces. And I always was interested in that type of thing too because I like writing. So I think I would like to do the same thing, of course, in my own way, but kind of just putting theater and acting with dance. And that's very innovative, and you know the creative process started off with interviews. I would do oh, really? doing the portraits for the American Writers Museum and did them for the American Writers Museum. So it started off with interviews with writers, and and I think that this a sense of movement in writing is very important. It's yeah. this people can get stuck. So I think that you have an it's wonderful this background. I would love to if we may include uh, yeah, of one of your poems. I would be honored. Yeah. and and then it may inspire other works and other mediums, so we'll share it with our participating universities. Sure, do it. This yeah. might be the way to share that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. We had, we had some just audience members say, you know, can you share the poem? And, we're, and it's like, mm-hmm. if we send it out to people who we don't know, yeah. there's mm-hmm. some question about how it will be used, but if we send, if we send a poem directly to them, yeah. yeah. yeah well, we're working with some of the leading, you know, writing programs in the world and in America, right. the Iowa Writers Program, which featured their interests. They would love that. And some of the, the writers are former dancers. So I think I know. saw you talk to Juno Diaz. And yes, yeah. Juno Diaz, yeah. And I uh, like their writing a lot. <laughs> he's from Dominican Republic and Dominican, yes. so I'm just like. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah, of course, he's a great. Yeah, he's a, there's a great musicality to his writing, too, yeah. and, and movement. So, yeah, he's a great writer. Was there, because you, you tell me, because I missed some questions. You tell no, no, that was, that was the one I thought about. You didn't sell your piece. It was so much, I mean, you know, it was very, you said, you know, like Crystal does a script. I mean, I didn't see your, your process, but Amanda showed it to that other interviewer. It was extremely well written out. Okay. It's a story, literally, in, you know, in mm-hmm. a book. Right. And that's another thing I'm interested because we talked briefly about visualization. Because I'm an artist and I write, too, so you drawing it out? How do you, or is it just all yeah. stay in your head? <laughs> yes. or how do I, you? Feel like, I feel like I draw a lot and she writes poetry a lot. <laughs> yeah. We're kind I, of the dual action. Yeah. Or like um, I will write, I have an idea of where people are in the space. Mm-hmm. And Crestles is very much the same way and other people are very much the same way. <laughs> but I just kind of see structures and shapes where people are in the space and then they kind of have a idea behind it or what it means to me mm-hmm. and then from there I'll choreograph once I get in the studio. 
So yeah. I kind of have that whole process written out. Mm-hmm. And do you then have in my the head. steps already pretty much in your head, or uh, do you wait and see your dancers and like create off of that? Sometimes I do have the steps, and then my dancers do something completely different. I was like, never mind, scratch what I did. Like, <laughs> <I'm not>. like, <laughs> yeah. You have to work for their bodies and yes, their exactly. personality. Because I can understand if someone's doing it on me, I'm probably not doing it the right way. <laughs> It's so interesting how a piece evolves. So I guess we have a bit of time, so I, I love to know how a piece evolves, how it evolves, and, and also as you're interpreting other people's roles, when is that moment when it unlocks for you or how it becomes yours that you take possession of? With choreographing, I, again, have a notebook where you go to a coffee shop and you just write all day or you draw all day. I love illustrating, and I have a notebook where I just kind of jot down random ideas that I get when listening to music or just that I see outside. And then maybe I'll visualize them by drawing like a little outline of a person or drawing, like my piece had flowers in it and I just loved drawing roses. And I think that's where I got the inspiration from. So for me, it was just kind of like, what do I see on paper? How can I apply that to my dancing or vice versa? It's very helpful to just have a notebook where you can kind of just keep to yourself 24 hours a day jot down whatever you need to jot down and then continue from there but that's how my piece evolved too mm-hmm. I see something from last August to June from now and it's just a totally different world with the same intention mm-hmm. so it's cool to have this kind of storyline mm-hmm. stream throughout my writing or my visuals it's beautiful I like to think of uh, dancers as flowers as this ing- organic mm-hmm. It's, it's a beautiful image. You have like shedding and yeah. Yeah. It was blooming. Not, it, instead uh-huh. of it being a bloom, it was a shed. So uh-huh. instead of growing to something, you were growing out of something. Mm-hmm. And then from that, you're evolving. Oh, and that's that so nice. Of, it's yeah. like a sadness, but it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, beauty yeah, it's a sadness. beautiful sadness that I think that we all need to appreciate. Mm-hmm. Instead of just being like, oh yeah, it blooms, and that's the most beautiful part. It's mm-hmm. not, it's what's after. It's the core that's left. And it's what everything else is around you, all the things you have and lost. So. Oh, it makes me also think that the life of the dancer is short. Okay. Or then it goes to court. And yeah. it makes me think about those transitions and, and when mm-hmm. you decide or when you're going to make that transition into to being a choreographer or being an artistic director. Mm-hmm. And you want to hold on to the yeah. dance life as much as possible. So when you, have you thought about when you're going to make the transition? Um, I definitely think about the one day that I will retire. And... I'm not looking forward to it, but I am because I know there will be other things out there that it will inspire me. And I think we're both at an age where we are really soaking things in mm-hmm. and we're being sponges. And I think this is crucial to do it now so that in 15 years, if we retire, we still have this love and appreciation for art that we found when we're 20 mm-hmm. or we're 21. But it's not something that I think about often. It's something that is there but I think about what's happening later and later and later in life, not just when I retire. Mm-hmm. Now so. for you both, what was the transition like from being a student to joining the company? So it's so different going from <laughs> being like in a school. It's like you get a life. <laughs> it's like you make money and you finally can do things that you want to do and you grow with people you want to grow with instead of having to please a school teacher all day yeah. or please somebody that you're, that's auditioning you. It's more than that. It's like actually art form now. And it's not just a regimented day by day doing tondus in class. 
Was it hard, though, transitioning from having someone, you know, always on you, a teacher always correcting you, to, you know, when you're in a company, you barely receive any yeah. corrections in class, so what was that? Was that a little difficult at first? Uh, I think at first I got a little complacent, because I was a little comfortable. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, this is so nice. I'm not having people on me all the time. <laughs> but at the same time, it really, like, forced me to be able to correct myself mm-hmm. and focus on, oh, what can I do differently here? Like, I view class very much as, like, an ex- like a laboratory, mm-hmm. so it's your experiment and trying different things on your body and on yourself and you're watching how other people do things and then you're soaking that in too. So. And at PMV2, it's such an inspiring company. I'm oh, sure yeah. class yeah. having all these people around you. It makes so it like, so much better, honestly. Because I remember as a student, we just all need to kind of be the same. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I don't really want to be the same yes, as It's like finding your individuality yeah. in yeah. this big company. Exactly. Yeah. Finding your voice. Everyone's so different in this company. In not the typical way, you know, everyone moves everyone, to their own yeah. language, and I think that's something that Peter really brought in and really tries to highlight. And then for us to be in class with all these people that are so different is just so special. Because then we realize, oh yeah, we got hired because we're we're ourselves too, you know, we're our own person. We're not like X Y Z, you know, mm-hmm. that other companies may want to be like. Because so. that's what makes PNB so special. Because I think there's not one dancer in here that's like exactly yeah. like the other. Whereas no. in other companies, it's like Carbon okay, copies. well we have our <laughs> four, and like they're all brunette, and they're five seven, yeah. and they have like really awesome feet, and then we have like our certain people that do this and this. Like it's, yeah. I think this company is slowly trying to make dance not so much like that, and ballet not so much into these molds. Well, it seems like they give so many people opportunities as well yes, in the company. Yeah. It's not like you have to be a principal to do the principal exactly. role. Yes, exactly. You can be a, yeah. an apprentice in the corps. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, I mean, you, true. you've both got to do Red Angels. That's yeah. incredible. And you're so yeah. young in your career. And, and we you... literally got to strut on stage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we got to catwalk, which was so fun for us. Yeah. <laughs> so fun. And then I think you addressed it. What roles have you enjoyed the most? Well, definitely Red Angels. That was one of the best things of my life. Well, West Side Story. I love everything love in that. Like I, I could do like the the wallflower, which she does nothing. I, I could do that and I'd be happy. Like it's literally <laughs> such a good point. I really like doing Don Q when I was a PD. It's like nothing that special. Like I did a gypsy and I sat down. And I got to watch Carl Lindsay do <laughs> the Don Q paw. But like something about that, like I will never forget that moment. Like, I don't know. I felt like I was in heaven. I was just like, I'm here. <laughs> For me, when I was in the School of American Ballet, I graduated doing the Phlegmatic Four Temperaments. And for me, I got to... School of American Ballet is right next to the Arts Library, so I got to go there and watch all these videos of all these people doing it. And I feel like that is a very true role to my personality, just kind of very calm and laid back. And then the music kind of just pulls this person through it. So that was definitely my favorite moment so far but also doing Red Angels with my best friend was out of this world. And also doing One Flat Thing reproduced by William Forsythe because it was so mentally and physically demanding and I did not think I could do it. And then you get to a point where you just, it's automatic, you know, and then you're thinking about other things. And it's cool that our bodies and brains can kind of take over. And then you could be in that moment watching other people, taking cues from other people. It was a very kind of surreal moment to be with all these dancers watching mm-hmm. each other work instead of watching the audience. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you thank so you much. So uh, much. Uh, thanks for uh, Amanda Morgan and Christopher Dariano and uh, thank you for uh, adding your voice to the creative process. Thank you so much. Of course, thank you. We look forward to following your oh. dance career. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> if you're just joining us, we're speaking with Price Sadath of the Pacific Northwest Ballet. 
Bryce Sudarth is a soloist with Pacific Northwest Ballet. He has also studied at the School of American Ballet, the Rock School, and Miami City Ballet. He has performed as a guest artist with Panama National Ballet and has choreographed for many organizations, including the Regional Dance America Gala. Would you just tell me about your journey to dance? Do you have artists in your family? Yes, my journey to dance started actually through very roundabout channels. I began doing musical theater when I was very young. I used to sing um, and I would dance around. And I started doing like professional musical theater as a young kid. One show had a lot of dancing and the choreographer came up to me afterwards and he told me, um, he was like, you were just terrible. You're a terrible dancer and you should come and start taking classes. And granted, he owned a studio. So I started taking jazz and tap classes because I kind of wanted to be Fred Astaire. And then there was a ballet teacher there and she was convincing me like, come and take ballet. And I was like, no, 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 I won't take ballet. I'll dance, but I won't take ballet. And then finally I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do ballet, but I won't wear tights. And then after about a year, I was like, okay, fine, I'll just do it. And then after starting ballet for two years at home, I moved to New York City to go to the School of American Ballet for two years. And then I went to Pacific Northwest Ballet School, and then I got hired into the company there. So. Oh, that's wonderful. And then you don't have artists in your family? Or? No, no. My, my dad was a big sports person, mm-hmm. coached baseball, coached my older brother, my oldest brother in baseball. So we were at the baseball field all the time. Um, my mom it comes from a pretty musical family, a lot of music teachers. My mom played the French horn, so I played the French horn when I was young. <clears throat> but not professional artists, no. All right, and then I, I want to speak about your own choreography. Mm. How do you approach your characters? Yeah, all three of the pieces that I danced have had very interesting and very different processes. The first one, Tide Harmonic, is a Christopher Wielden piece, and I was involved, I think I was fourth, third or fourth cast when it was originally choreographed. So I didn't perform it back then. I was in the room though when Chris was in Seattle creating, and he would very quickly had one week to choreograph the whole thing, choreographing it and setting it on stage and everything. So it was very, very tight, but it was, it was really incredible to watch him work just this well-oiled machine and he is such a honed artist he knew exactly what he wanted and how to get it so it was really impressive and I, I tried to soak up as much as I could so that three years later when my turn came to actually dance the the piece I could sort of remember what he had said to the original casts and sort of uh, use that to apply it to myself the second piece Alejandro Cerudo's Little Mortal Jump he came and he worked for with a stager, he came for about three weeks, I want to say, twice. He came and sort of workshopped it in the summer, and then he came right before we premiered. And he had a lot of insights, and we had worked with him before. I was in an original work of his a couple of years prior to that. So he has a very specific language you saw. There's a lot mm-hmm. of like quirky, silly moments. If you have great humor and playfulness, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And so we sort of already had this vocabulary that he had built that stretches through all of his work. And so revisiting his work, but in a different context, was very, very interesting. It felt very comfortable too. There's a lot of stuff, you know, I'm dancing on the edge of the stage and then I jump into the pit and it's very frightening. But the dancing, the movement itself made a lot of sense. The steps are different for this piece than they were for his, the the original work that he did on PMB. But 
the way of moving, the idea, where the thought process, you can feel Alejandro's thought process. And since we had worked with him before, sort of revisiting it and revisiting him was very comfortable. It almost felt like remembering a piece as opposed to learning a brand new one, even though it was brand new for us. He just has this a very fluid way of moving that once you understand it and understand where he's going, it's very logical. Like I have another part in yeah, that yeah. in that thing that I'll perform the other nights. Oh, I go I back and forth and the, the second part I perform with my wife. Oh. It's the first couple that dances mm-hmm. together to the, the music with the words. Oh, that's a wonderful part. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. The the potata feels great. It I mean it's great to dance with my wife. We have a lot of fun and we work well together. But it has so much like fun movement and it's it's very fluid. It feels good on your body, even though, you know, there's like a backflip over you and you're like laying upside down half the time. It doesn't feel as contorted or awkward as you might think it would. And a lot of the dancing with the group, my two parts mirror each other. So I have to reverse it. Like one time I'll go to the right and then the other time I go to the left. But because it has this fluidity to it, I just, if I think, okay, do this, and then it makes sense that I would go into that and that, and then I can reverse it really easily. So I didn't actually have to learn the other side. It just, it has this just danciness to it that it like translates to. I just think to myself like, okay, just reverse it and it works because Mm -hmm. it just flows so nicely. It's nice, that logic. And so his choreography is so beautiful. It seems so naturalistic. Mm -hmm. I like that, that you feel it's almost made for you. I don't know why. Yeah, it has, I mean, it's very deeply rooted in ballet, I think. Mm -hmm. And for us as classical ballet dancers, and that's Mm -hmm. what we do every single day, it helps to have that common space to start from. But then it has a very pedestrian quality to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're very grounded, you're in socks, you're not in ballet shoes or point shoes for the women. But uh, it's sort of taking what we work on every day to be mm-hmm. up here, and it's taking that exact same idea and just putting it lower, like mm-hmm. how you would be outside. And it, the characters that he develops, even in an abstract work, they're definite characters, especially my two parts. Yes. They have these characters to them, and they, they're people. They're just mm-hmm. like silly, quirky people. Like yeah. the guy that I did today, you know, he's supposed to be late for the show. Yeah. He doesn't make it, he doesn't make it backstage. He has to run through the house and then he just like jumps into the pit, like out of desperation, you know, to make yeah. it for the show. And so there's something very like freeing about that where you're not the prince. Mm-hmm. You are just like a guy on the street, you know? Well, it's nice for us in the audience to make that imaginative leap and to think about how dance and movement is part of our everyday mm-hmm. life. It's, as yeah. you say, not the prince, not the idealized, mm-hmm. yeah. and yet it's so incredibly beautiful. Yeah. And then emergence, too, is this uh, yeah. world. <laughs> it's Crystal Pite's world is so crazy. <laughs> um, it's amazing, it's very spiky. We've done now two pieces of hers. We did this one, we've done Emergence quite a bit, and then this past season we premiered Plot Point. It's a piece that is all about story. It's a piece about story and it has story in it. It's really in, impossible to describe, it's incredible. But with that we've worked with, Crystal's come, she lives in Vancouver, when she's not traveling all over the world. Yeah. So she'll come down for one day at a time if she can mm-hmm. to work with us on Emergence especially. So we've seen her in the studios on and off for 
four years. And she'll come in for emergence the first time she came in for about two weeks to really workshop with us and work on the movement quality. And she had a stager. For plot point, she came for four weeks. So we spent a lot of time with her. And it's funny, to me, visually, when I look at emergence, it feels like of all four of those pieces, it feels like it would be the least comfortable to do like hardest on your body yeah. but it's it feels the best it's almost yeah. therapeutic in a way like all of the twisting is mm-hmm. done so geniusly that it it works and you can go further you can go to more of an extreme than if you just did it because she has a science behind every single step that she gives she has these spiky fingers which are very much like the character Mm -hmm, but it's also the idea of like transferring energy from your center all the way out so you're not just holding your arms you're stretching and you're using them so you have this balance Mm -hmm. that you otherwise wouldn't have you know like Mm -hmm. I struggle you you may struggle like standing on one leg to do a pirouette Mm -hmm. but you can do these like off-balance hinges with her work because she understands counterbalance and transferring energy all the way through your body so you're able to push so much further but you're also able to use muscle to do it so you're not just jamming your bones in place you're actually moving and it feels really nice I mean it's you get sore the next day after a show when you're going as far as possible but there's so many things that when she was teaching I thought would be so painful. And there's a step at the beginning of my solo when I like roll over my foot and I go to the ground. I thought I was gonna break my foot doing it, but it actually feels weightless. I don't feel weight in either of my legs when I do it because it's very specific. You have to stretch backwards with your arms and like pull forward with your knee and I don't feel weight on either leg. And I just go down to the ground. It's the most incredible feeling And it's just, it's so geniusly constructed, which is just her. She's probably the greatest choreographer I've ever worked with. And there's a lot of fantastic ones. But she knows how to get what she wants and she does not compromise. But at the same time, she collaborates and she's so generous with her time. And I've never seen her lose her patience even in times when it would be completely understandable, you know, we're in tech week in the theater, like things are, lights are falling down, you know, like horrible yeah. things are happening. And she's just so calm, cool and collected, but she never sacrifices the quality of her work. I don't know how she does it, because at the end of the day, the show is exactly how she wants it. Mm-hmm. Pretty much every time. But she never, she never loses this like, steady just incredible presence and it makes everybody I think it, it's one of the reasons it makes everybody like, put, their best. yeah because They're everyone's so like I just want to make her happy you know <laughs> um, so yeah Crystal is just incredible I know she spent a lot of time here um, in Paris with the company and I, I'm sure she was the exact same you know it doesn't matter where she is With her company, which is Five Dancers, she's just this force, a nice force. Do you feel like it's impacted you as a choreographer as well after working Mm -hmm. with her? I would say, you know, I worked with Bill Forsyth. He came and we did a a Forsyth program. 
and he you know, sat on a couch and talked to a choreography mm-hmm. for a long time because it was right before I was choreographing from the first time on the company and he was really insightful and really helpful but it wasn't until you know, sitting with Crystal in the room working as a dancer her being the choreographer that things started really clicking mm-hmm. and I would go to rehearsals that I wasn't called to and I'd sit in the back of the room just to hear what she would say and I took notes My name is Ari Renee. I'm currently a finance major at Tulane University, but I am heavily involved in dance and performing arts programs on campus. I am an associate producer for podcasts about dance, the arts, and sustainability. It resonated with me when Christopher talked about the importance of dancers' individualities. It reminds me to always show myself when I am performing, because even if I am performing someone else's choreography, it is still important to show me. Although, particularly in ballet companies, technique is quite uniform, and even when dancers are all in the same company, their individualities are what bring freshness and uniqueness to the art. Price showed that all artists sometimes struggle with creativity. There are always times when we do not know what to do, and that is completely normal. I was intrigued by Price's illustration of the choreographing process, in that in choreographing, you often make subtle changes to certain movements, such as level changes, speed changes, etc., that can completely change a piece, and doing so often helps you create more. This inspires me because I sometimes struggle with creating choreography, and I can use his advice to create movement even when I do not have many ideas. In the past, I often focused too much on making everything perfect instead of allowing myself to make mistakes, but letting yourself make mistakes often leads to new ideas. Also, we must keep in mind that movement on one person may not look the same on the other. We all have different bodies and techniques. We can do our best to suit the choreography to the dancers, meaning we can make the most of what we have and create movement that is the most effective. It opens up an entirely new world of creative thinking. Price also explained the value in being vulnerable, such as when you are not sure what to do next or when you have doubts. Sometimes we do need help from others to bring in new ideas and sometimes it takes being vulnerable to lead to more creativity. What I take from this is to be more open with my peers about my ideas and struggles so that we can help each other in creating a special piece. These ideas are not only applicable to dance, but to all forms of art. You know, it makes me think of your piece, All the Right Moves. It seems you're expressing a lot about the joy of mm-hmm. dance and that just whole family experience. Now we're transitioning talking about your mm-hmm. pieces, oh. signature. Let's just discuss them. Talk us through the... I typically, I get very bored mm-hmm. with what I'm doing or, you know, what I'm dancing, what I'm choreographing, mainly what I'm choreographing. And so every time I create something, I have this idea that I'm going to recreate my entire choreographic voice, which of course never happens. But All the Reich Moves was one of the first things I did for um, the school at PMB. And the idea of that one was to create as many different styles of dance and and smush them together. Because my, my brother actually had twins. He, he had twin daughters. And I was in the car with them at one point, and they were driving, they were babies. They, uh, they couldn't walk, they couldn't talk, they couldn't express anything. And they were excited to go to grandma's house. And I don't even know if they knew 
the words, you know, but they understood the concept that we're going somewhere we are excited about, and they understood joy, and they started moving, just movement, and you know, their hands were moving, and they were dancing without structure, but just the idea that dance is a natural phenomenon that occurs whether we want to or not. And then, like, ballet is established rules and structure and all of this and choreography, but that at the root of it, it is this completely unnecessary thing that we can't even control. It's like Mm -hmm. breathing. We can't control, and we can, but, you know, we breathe Mm -hmm. naturally because we need to breathe. Mm -hmm. We dance naturally, but we don't need to dance. So it's this sort of incredible gift that we have, that everybody has, whether they train in it or not. This idea that like dance exists, whether mm-hmm. we do it, whether ballet companies are here or not. Mm-hmm. And so with that being one of my first pieces, I wanted to show as many different kinds of dance on a ballet stage within like the ballet structure, but express the idea that dance exists in a much larger scope than just our thing. Then like fast forwarding to Signature, that one you know, is, is it seven years maybe after, five years after that piece, my first piece, Peter Bowl, the artistic director of PNB, told me about two years before that I was gonna do a piece and I needed those two years because designers and I had brand new music composed and it takes forever. But through the first like six to nine months, it's mainly just like me conceptualizing what I want. And then I, you know, I talk to my, my team, but they have to have my ideas. So it's really like I am trying to figure out what the inspiration for this piece will be before I can get any costumes or music or anything put together. And I... I sort of had this moment of panic. You know, I was very excited when he commissioned a work, and I was, you know, thrilled. And then, as I was conceptualizing, every idea I thought I would have, I was like, this is terrible. Like, wanting it up and throwing it away. I was wondering, like, why, why should I be doing this? There's multiple choreographers in the company that are very talented, and there's thousands of choreographers in the world that you know should be coming in or would be coming in why me why do I need to do this or why should I do this or what do I have to say that other people don't and it hit me that that was the question it wasn't really what I have because when you really boil it down to the simplest idea as a dancer what do you have to offer that no one else does really nothing you know, when you look at steps, you know, if you can turn, go to YouTube. There's like a 12-year-old who can turn better than you. <laughs> or jump or extension or feet, yeah. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So really the only thing that you have to offer is your own living person. You work and you develop skills and strengths and weaknesses throughout your career. But the only thing that truly sets you apart is your own self. Mm-hmm because people will dance roles after me that I danced, and I'm dancing roles after other people, but the only thing that sets it apart is the fact that I, in this moment in time, am doing these specific things. And so I thought that's my idea of choreography. My piece might be similar to the way someone else would choreograph, but it's not because it's me in this yeah. moment. And the whole arrangement mm-hmm. and the sequence. Well, and then I you know, thought, okay, these dancers, that's the idea for them. I wanted to showcase the dancers and 
have large groups that then would quickly disperse into small, like small groupings to really sort of show the individuals in the mass. Mm-hmm. You know, because PMB is a large ballet company. We do large productions. Mm-hmm. You know, we do Sleeping Beauty and all this stuff, and we have fantastic dancers, and we're all trying to be the same and look the mm-hmm. same. And I wanted to to sort of capitalize on the idea that the individual, regardless of ability or steps or whatever, the individual person breathing the same air as the audience mm-hmm. is what makes that piece special in that moment. You know, tonight's show, you cannot remake it. Mm-hmm. We'll do the same cast again, it won't be the same. Because mm-hmm. every time we're breathing different air, it's a different day, I'll get my voice back and it'll be a completely different show. Mm-hmm. Just because it is a different moment in time. I, I love your themes. I love these overarching themes also because I find it has something in common with the creative process. Mm-hmm. You're really thinking behind the scenes what goes into mm-hmm. something, what makes a piece unique. And I think mm-hmm. that's it. You know, we won't all be Shakespeare, but we have our own unique voice. Mm-hmm. So, and speak about, I don't know if you want to speak about duet or other. Yeah. Um, it was, I hadn't done any real character development in any work that I had ever done. And I had this idea, I watched part of our choreographic workshop at, at PMB. We have you know, multiple choreographers from the company are working with students from the school. And I watched this workshopping of one of my peers with his dancers and he did this, this they were speaking or something, and they were throwing a tennis ball back and forth. Um, and one of the people dropped the tennis ball, and they were super embarrassed. And it's, the image stuck with me. I don't know why. I just peeked into the studio one day, and I saw it. And that image of, of like, dropping a tennis ball somehow triggered the idea of dropping your partner, like dropping someone on stage. And I thought, you know what would be interesting is if I created a character and a partner for that character that only filled him with dread and then made one of the characters a tennis ball. So this guy, he discovers the tennis ball and then, you know, he, he works with it and it goes great and then things start to happen and he loses it and then the tennis ball turns on him and there's, you know, it starts attacking him and it's, it was a lot of fun. It was, you know, 10 minutes solo for this dancer and it was a beast for him. But it was really an exercise for me to experiment with creating themes and character. Just like a small story arc. It was only 10 minutes, it wasn't a three-act ballet. But I kind of wanted to venture outside of abstract ballet with just these like very vague themes that make a lot of sense to me, but they're supposed to be open to interpretation. I wanted to try something that was new for me, that was just very different, just to see how it went and where I could go with it. How do you go about choosing the music for these pieces and others? Mm-hmm. So far, almost every piece that I've done, I've found music at different times in the process. Early on, I would find music months before I'd start choreographing. All the right moves, I found that music I think like two months before I even looked at dancers or even thought of too many steps. I just really liked it. I liked the Steve Reich music. I liked how minimalist uh, music, with you could sort of impose your own style onto it, especially after about five minutes and you hear the same two or three eights repeated. You can then put 
different things. You can make rhythm on top of rhythm, and it was very interesting to me. So that I found really early on in the process. And then if you go to Signature, I had an idea for Vivaldi. I liked Vivaldi music, but the, the work is too short. All of his pieces are, not all, but most of his pieces are just very short. Um, pieces. I wanted the three-act structure. I wanted, you know, first and a second and a third movement. And so then I, I had this idea, this concept of taking Vivaldi music but then recomposing it. So we found Barrett Ansbach, who's actually the brother of a former dancer in the company. And he went to Juilliard. He's a you know, very, very accomplished composer. And I sat down over coffee with him and I explained, you know, this is the Vivaldi music that I want you to change. And I want you to completely mix it and recompose it so that it's new but people feel like they've heard it before so that there's a sense of familiarity to the music even though it's a brand new sort of Vivaldi Baradon Spot collaboration and he took that and ran with it and I thought it was really interesting he started in the first movement and it was pretty much all straight Vivaldi reorchestrated and reworked and then by the third movement, he had completely broken down the structure of Vivaldi composition. And so you were left with this very abstracted, tonal kind of music. It had this feel like a whisper of Vivaldi to it, but it was definitely something brand new. It had this postmodern take on Vivaldi music. But that music I didn't hear for the first time, like really here until the dress rehearsal. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> is, is that nerve wracking? But I want to go back to something. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes me think about the process of improvisation and mm-hmm. how you might be building upon choreographies of other um, mm-hmm. choreographers. How do you approach that? It's always a fear that you would get along like halfway through a piece and then look at it and realize it's emergent <laughs> or you know, something like that. I do a lot of work by myself beforehand. It's actually a suggestion of Bill Forsyth to create themes, you know, phrases of, of dancing that may or may not have set counts or whatever, but you have phrases of dancing and videotape it and have it set well in advance. That way when you go in, you can use it as workshop material, but you can also edit yourself ahead of time so that you know, you know, this is all me. I don't have to decide how it's going to fit into the piece because that's typically when you end up accidentally borrowing is how do I fit this in? I have like three eights here. What do I do? You know, Mm -hmm. but if you have these various themes of movement, then later, once you see it on your dancers, and once you see, like, okay, I have three phrases, but the men do it differently than the women, so I'm going to alter it, and now I have six. Mm-hmm. But these tall women do it differently than the short women, and the tall men do it differently, you know, so you just start to multiply and multiply and multiply, and you have a piece that then you mm-hmm. just have to kind of order. And then you get into, you know, individual dancing and... You start with an idea of what you want and allowing the dancer on the other end of the room to really influence your choreography helps you. Well, it's inspiring, first of all. So Mm -hmm. then you start to just, the choreography starts to come. But it also becomes a collaborative effort, so you no longer have to worry 
about mm. am I going to take yeah because from how others. they do it right something. well and you know if you, if there's multiple voices influencing one thing it's going to be you know a part of me a part of that person a part of the partner a part of the peop- the other cast a part of the ballet master so it becomes a completely new and fresh thing mm-hmm. as opposed to okay i'm going to take this these two eights and just put it on them and then like tweak it so it looks different which that's something that was really difficult for me to learn and i'm still learning this being open to the idea of collaboration Dancers, you know, right now it's a little bit easier for me because I am a dancer. Mm -hmm. And so being open to their ideas or even open to mistakes or, you know, anything that doesn't look right. Mm -hmm. I give a step and it looks great on someone and it looks terrible on someone else, but Mm -hmm. there's something in there that's interesting or intriguing. And so, okay, scrap this part and that part, but what if we flip the angle and then reverse it? And then it becomes something completely new and different that I could have never come up with and they would have never done on their own. So then it just, like, the choreography starts to create itself. Mm-hmm. So opening my mind up to that, because there's a fear as a young choreographer, what if I go into the room and I have nothing to say? Mm-hmm. Like, I have no ideas. And it's happened a few times <laughs> where I go in, I have, like, things set, and I, I teach them and I work and we're going... And then I look at the clock and I have an hour left and I have nothing. I have no ideas and I just stare at the floor and it's silent. And you have sometimes 30 people staring at you, just waiting, you know? They're you know, super polite. It happened in Signature. There was one section that was really, really difficult. And the company, the company dancers were so supportive of me the whole time. But there was, there was one section in particular that it was late. It was like 6 o'clock on a Friday. Everyone was tired, ready to go home. I had like another hour left of rehearsal. And I kept playing this 1-8 over and over and over again on the CD. And I, I could not think of anything. And everyone was just sitting, waiting. And the stress starts to boil up. And it was in that moment that I just... I, you know, I set everyone on a break for a few minutes. And I just like took a breath and then it started to work but that's it's something that crystal pite said last time she was in town it was actually something she said she learned when she was at the paris opera because her cast was like 80 dancers mm-hmm. and so when she had that moment it was 80 people staring at her you know yeah. and she said she really learned to be vulnerable in those moments and allow the awkward silence mm-hmm. and not be afraid to say I don't know what I'm doing. I have no ideas. Mm -hmm. I'm out of ideas. And then she said, the moment you do that, nine times out of ten, an idea pops in your head. Mm -hmm. Or people start to do things. Mm -hmm. And you find inspiration because suddenly the pressure is off and you're just another human. You're not this choreographer that is supposed to be above everyone and have all the answers and know everything, Mm -hmm. you know. You are suddenly humanizing yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you become one of you know the 80 people or the 50 people that you have in the room and then suddenly it's a collaborative space as opposed to just like i have to find something to do right here and then it's like nothing you know so that's it's incredibly difficult and i have not mastered that but trying to be vulnerable in those moments and ex- and yeah. saying it mm-hmm. you're not being afraid to say i have 
But you know, it's fascinating because it seems like a theme that you touch on in signatures or the spaces between, or what I find fascinating as not a, I mean, Caroline's been a professional dancer. I just love dance, but mm. actually those moments of those pauses, as you say, is what allows the emotional truth to come in. Mm-hmm. So you need them, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I see it in the themes of your other works too. That it seems like you're interested in those spaces between the borderlands. That's it's really funny that you mentioned that because I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, the spaces between really does express that same idea. It was I choreographed that piece. It was the year I got married. And I had this, I think it was also a year I was active on Facebook. I was not on Instagram, but I think Instagram was starting and I was sort of active on Facebook. And I I saw this disconnect from the way, I mean, and everyone's seen it, the way that your lives are portrayed in our digital world and the way lives really go. You know, my wife and I were getting married and it was a very flawed, imperfect relationship. All while I'm seeing other people on Instagram, everything is perfect. Every picture is like the greatest day that has ever been created. And I sort of had this idea, or it hit me that life is lived between those moments, the space between pictures or the space between high points in our lives. Like that is where we spend the majority of our time. And that's actually where you find the real beauty of life. It's through not even difficult times, it's through boring times. It's through dinner on a Tuesday night, just like at home sitting and relaxing. It's just that is where you really find out who you are and it's where you find your life. And that to me was so strikingly beautiful. Mm. The idea that it's not about experiencing these massive highs or massive lows. I mean, these happen every day, but it's right in the middle. A lot of times we think, if I can skip through this to get to some peak, then you know I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case. It's the middle space, the space between, that really builds us and it's really special. Mm. I think about the long period of training for dancers mm-hmm. and when you're dreaming of doing what you're doing mm-hmm. right now, but mm-hmm. you don't realize all these... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, that's most of the time in a school, you have a few performances a year, you know, and you feel amazing. And it's the same thing in a professional company. You know, we're about to open in Paris. Like This is a massive high point for pretty much everybody in this company. This is a big deal. And it's a long show, but it's about two hours or something. So around 11 o'clock, opening night will be over. And so reconciling this like massive high point with then it's done and it's gone. And we don't have opening night again. So finding the space between this like incredible triumphant opening night in Paris for Pacific Northwest Ballet, first time ever, with dinner in our hotel room. It's not a low point. Dinner in the hotel room is actually a high point. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, the idea of, like, you go from this incredibly high, amazing thing to just being a person, you know, walking on the street, no one knows who you are, like walking back to the hotel. Yeah. And trying, you know, as a goal to find the profound beauty in that and just like being, going from one high thing to another. But it is, I mean, as a student, you think you have your show of Nutcracker and it's this amazing thing and then you go back into the studio 
and you're like, okay, I just have to work for my spring show. And you have your spring show, and you're like, that was amazing, and then you, then you go back in the studio. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's like that every year, and then it's like, well, once I get a job, mm-hmm. once I get hired somewhere, everything will be perfect. And then you get hired, and then you're an apprentice. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just like everything is like that. You, you constantly think there's these high points, and there are these amazing things, but right after a high point, it's boring again, mm-hmm. which is where we live majority of our time which is not bad it's actually wonderful it's wonderful to live in that like middle ground because it's exhausting Mm -hmm. opening night is exhausting and if that's Mm -hmm. how life always was i would be asleep half the time it's awful well you have an amazing exciting life and i kept you started choreographing so young as well did you always know that or did just happen i before I did, so I started dancing very late. I didn't start ballet until I was 15. So I was interested in everything once I started. But I, thinking all the way back to like seven years old, I was trying to put on productions in my parents' living room. And I would make my brothers be in these terrible little musicals that I would create that were three minutes long and they hated it. But I was always creating things. I was always trying to create with Legos or building blocks. I was trying to direct people. Everything I did before dance was creative. And I never thought of it as creative because I wasn't drawing, I wasn't painting, but I was creating in some way. And once I started dancing, it was like I was actually given a medium that I could create with, like dance steps and vocabulary and people became my paint Mm -hmm. and it when i was at the school of american ballet they have a student choreographic workshop which is where i did my very first two two and a half minute piece and that was that like the moment i knew i could apply for it i was like i just have to it's what i do even though i had never done it before i was like (laughs) this is what i do you know it just felt so right because I just felt like I had been creating things forever and ever and ever. My middle brother was great at building things, like with Lego. And when we were really young, he would build these amazing things, and I would be constructing a spaceship that would take me like four hours, and it looked nothing like a spaceship. It was terrible, but I loved creating. He was incredible at that. I wasn't, but I loved the process of doing it. And it wasn't until I had dance to create with that I realized... I can actually do this. Like, this makes sense to me to create with this. I loved creating with all of these other things. I loved that idea, but I wasn't great at it. Mm -hmm. This was something that I knew I could actually do. Whether I'm great at it or not is not up to me to decide. But it was something that made so much sense. Like, I understood all all the sides like I understand how to dance and I understand how to partner and I'm learning I don't understand how to dance on point but like I'm I'm learning especially through my wife who's very helpful and the more I create the more I learn about that it seems like it's a world that I understand and so because I already have this desire and joy with creating it just was so natural to just step in the front of the room and start One of the things with the creative process is it's an educational Mm -hmm. initiative. And I find it so wonderful that you found dance a bit late for Mm -hmm. most dancers. But I feel like there's more that we could be doing to help 
young people find mm-hmm. what fits for them. And I think that our education model as it is, some schools are better than others, aren't really mm-hmm. doing the most they can to help. How would you like to like reform our education system? Wow. <laughs> I think a lot of it, a lot of it comes, you know, there's culturally, when you look at dance, there's a lot of pushback, especially when I think of men in ballet, which is funny because I didn't ever think is my, my dad and my brothers are you know, guys, men were men, and they were big into sports. My dad was a baseball coach. My brother played baseball in college. And like, it's just very, like, sports family. There was never a hesitation about me doing ballet, ever. Both of my parents and my brothers have always been so incredibly supportive of me. And I never once even thought that it was strange to do ballet. It's strange when I was there, like trying to force my knees to turn out, but never once did I feel strange for doing it. But I know that there's a lot of pushback culturally for men in ballet. And I feel like if there was more exposure, you know, maybe it's getting better. There's a lot of mainstream television dance shows, which is helpful. It's, of course, very pop culture, which isn't a bad thing, but I think it would be very interesting to have programs that expose kids at a very young age, but then continuing to expose them through, you know, their teens, that what is possible. You know, dance is a lot more than just white tights and the prince. There's a lot more to it. There's a very, very large world. And I think, first of all, people just don't know that. People don't understand the possibilities that you can have in a career like this. I think that maybe they're starting to. PMB has some fantastic programs where they go in and they are integrating dance movement with the actual education curriculum that are in schools. Oh, that's wonderful. It's really incredible, the Discover Dance program. They, my wife has volunteered with it before, where they take their math models. You know, they, they have little things like their multiplying pyramids or whatever they're doing they use that and they somehow build dance class around it and so these kids are taking what they're learning in a typical day and they're applying it to dance and by the end of the hour session you have those boys mostly who are standing on the side and they don't want to participate are then creating dance you know they're like no you go over there and you run over here and stand on her and whatever and they're they're creating they're choreographing Oh. And they started, you know, 15 minutes ago, hating uh-huh. it and not wanting to participate at all. And you see other kids who are just painfully shy. And then they're dancing. And they get to dance on our stage. We bring them in and they get to perform in front of their friends and family for 3,000 people, you know, which is amazing. But I think it's, like, that's a high point, you know. But I think it's taking something that they're learning in school that seems very natural and seems very normal. You know, math exists outside in the world. So yeah. learning math makes sense and that's a normal thing for me to do. But taking something that's already normal and then putting dance with it also normalizes dance. Oh. And it normalizes arts. And I think you can do it with all different kinds of arts. But I think in, instead of creating this idea of like, these are your core, this is, mm-hmm. you know, English, math, whatever, you know, all of these core requirements, and then you have your arts programs, which are mostly, you know, electives or whatever, integrating them so that, like, while you're learning math, you're also learning dance. 
it's and they're connected people start to understand that this is legitimate it's not just something else you know that i would have to do in addition to or that doesn't apply to the world you know so it doesn't fit our economic model mm-hmm. it's actually what makes life worth living mm-hmm. that's what i feel about the yeah. arts and it makes math fun and memorable yes. <laughs> yeah uh-huh. that's a fantastic message mm-hmm. well i don't want to take any more of your time so thank you very much price sitter for adding your voice to the creative process it's been thank a pleasure you. and very inspiring thank, thank you. you thank you okay. thanks the creative process podcast is supported by the Ian michalski foundation This interview was conducted by Mia Funk and Caroline Daugherty with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews producer on this podcast was Ari Renee. Digital Media Coordinator was Hannah Story Brown. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Andolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you would like to get involved in our exhibitions, podcasts, or submit your creative works, Just drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info.